da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. So we come to you this week again to discuss the Magnificent Seven, but it's not. I thought the, we just did this. Yeah, it's not the 1960 version. Oh, okay. So the 1997 CBS TV movie. It's not the 1997 <laughs> CBS TV series. 1998. To be oh, exact. pardon me. Well, I got it a year early because, as you know, I'm I'm in the industry, and by yeah. the industry, I of course mean the business. Yeah, it was shot in 97, but it didn't come out until you so you technically you are correct. 1997's yeah. The Magnificent 7. But um no, we're here to talk actually close Richard, the 1996 women's gymnastics team. Oh, okay. Magnificent well, 7. So we're going to break down Awesome. Carrie Strug, the, yeah, Carrie Dominic Marciano, Dominic Dawes, the whole crew. All the routines. Bella move by move. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Who's the NBC, yeah. Gymnastics commentators don't come to come to mind. Nastia Lukin, there you go, coming on the show to talk gymnastics for the next two and a half hours. And surprise guest, I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. Richard Jewell, <laughs> back from the grave. Richard Jewell, <laughs> Jeff Goluli. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, I said Goluli. So yeah, so yeah, if you may notice, um, we're we're down a man tonight. Yeah, Brian is not here with us. We will have a guest joining us soon. I will tease that, but um, Brian yeah. is is down and out. He's got a alleged dental issue, but as we know what this is, Kent, that's just Disney hangover. Am I right? He's been in Disney World. I think it's just he's so jealous that you and I went to see Kanye West that he couldn't live with himself anymore. He couldn't couldn't bring himself to be around or even in our audio presence. I agree. And so here's we're going to ask a little something of the listener here. Um, we tease Brian mercilessly because about once, sometimes twice a year, uh, Brian goes to Disney World, which is totally cool, whatever. Um, but twice he has, a year or twice a month? <laughs> seems like twice a month. But Brian has a young child, and uh, Brian and his wife elect every time to not take the young child. So it's just sans kid. It, couple he's right, though. It's more fun when you don't have a kid I'm in sure almost it is. every situation. I'm sure it is. <laughs> but I would I would argue that the whole point of Disney is to bring your kid. So here's what we're going to do is all of you listeners out there that are listening, tweet to MAM underscore podcast uh, or BGUILD12, which is Brian, or email us at uh, madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com and just let us know how weird that is. Just say weird. That's weird. You're weird for doing that. <laughs> And uh, the more we get it, hey, look, I did an episode on Alice through the Looking Glass for all of you. You can do this for me. Uh, just email Brian and let him know how odd it is that he goes to Disney without his kid once, twice, three times a month slash year. Do you agree with me, Kent? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. So some point, we have so little. Uh, Brian, Brian so have to own him on this. Yeah. Um, in his defense, Disney is a fun place to go. Um. So- I've been there multiple times in my life as in different situations. Um, would I, as a married man with a kid, go to Disney without the kid and then have him have to uh, find out about it later? And he's like, I was four and you didn't take me? I love this so much. Uh, just makes my night. That kind of thing, which I resent my parents for, for things like that. Um, no, but... You know what? Like I said, almost every situation in life is better without a kid. I'm saying that being single without a kid. 
And there are uh, a lot of times when I'm glad I don't have kids with me. So maybe that's one of them. And uh, But, you know, I'm sure Disney was fun. You, sometimes you just need an escape. Sometimes you just need to go where your imagination can run wild. If that's not Absolutely. their slogan, it should be. Absolutely. Where your uh, imagination it, can run wild. Oh, well, your imagination. But Brian had a great time, it sounds like. But he is actually under the weather with a uh, yeah. with a tooth he has issue. He a toothache, yes. He's a tooth issue, which is normally not a big deal. Uh, but when one is broadcasting, uh, tends to be an issue. So uh, so he's he's taking one from the team tonight and sitting this one out, which is fine. We have a lovely guest coming on in just a little bit that we're really excited about. But Kent... Right. We so rarely get to do this. It's just you and me. We can really let the we can really let just the, let our dulcet tones just soothe over you. Just like it's like tomato soup going down your throat in the winter. It is. It's like it just, is. It just warms your heart. Sounds like Jeff. Yep. Carnegie. G E O F apostrophe F. Carnegie. Carnegie. Um, and so like one maybe one listener will get that joke. I mean that makes me more proud of it. So let's talk. Hey, Kent, we we have breaking news, and this may not be huge news in the world of cinema, in the world of news news, in the world of entertainment news, but it is big news in the world of Mad Mad Movies podcast. And right. we we heard it uh, yesterday morning. If you're if you're listening to this live two days ago morning, uh, and uh, and and we are so excited. And so many of you have tweeted and emailed and Facebooked, and like some of you looked us up in the yellow pages where we're both listed, and and called us and told us that it's happening officially script is being written. We've heard about this for months. It is time. Kent, what is happening? I throw it to you. Uh, all I have to say is that means number two. That means number two. <laughs> that needs to be the slogan it or does. tag or tagline on the poster to MacGruber two, uh, which it's being dubbed our working title MacGruber two on exactly. its way. Um, this is so exciting. Uh, never thought the day would come. Uh, the question is, is this going to be a feature release or some kind of Netflix exclusive release? Kind as long of as I get to see it. Yeah. Even if I only get to ever read the script that it's ever made, I'm happy. I don't care. I just need to know so what the, happens to my friends. Yeah. What happens, what happens to Vicky St. Elmo? What happens to Dixon Piper? What happens to McGroobs? You know? Yeah. We had heard... Through the grapevine. We've done a lot of digging on this over the past couple years, actually. I spend most of my time, yeah. Um, finding out what the deal was, if this was ever going to happen. We heard through friends of a friend, uh, through Ryan Phillippe, who was, of course, Dixon Piper, um, that it was being written. And this was about a year ago, or at least being talked about. Um, so we kind of had the seed of the idea in our heads. Never thought it would come to fruition, but it seems like over the weekend... Uh, was the day that they really came out with the news and officially kind of announced that it is happening rather than just we're kind of, you know, throwing it around in our heads or we've talked about it. It's like, no, we're doing this now. Um, Yorma Tacone, a friend of the show, shout out, and future friend of the show and future American treasure, Will Forte, uh, met this weekend. There's two people worth waving all the rules for. Um Forte and Dirk. Yeah, exactly. Forte for They're automatically in. Whatever, but in Dirk for nationality and age and everything. But I think they should just be in. American Treasure, Will Forte, <laughs> and Yorma. Uh, they tweeted a picture of themselves together with the caption, McGruber 2, 
is happening, I think was the caption or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. With just huge smiles on their faces. And then later, Yorma posted on Instagram a picture of the script in his hand. It said first yep. draft, uh, September 20 something, 2015 or 2016. And um, so. It's not only that they've started; it's like they have the script um, done. It seems like it in, in some way. Well, at least one draft. It's like super yeah. duper early draft. Is the mm-hmm. I'm in. The question is: Is it too late for us to work in some kind of cameos, background, um, walk on role? We've talked about the show a lot. We've we've probably turned between the three of us, including Brian and this. I would bet we've turned a hundred people out of this show. Maybe even tens of thousands. I, I think I, we've turned tens of I thousands. I think you could honestly say that we have made. Single-handedly inspired tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands, to watch MacGruber. Absolutely. So, what else is more deserving of? So, a, I we, will we take... dedicated hours, literally, on this show to that, to discussing and promoting that film, the original. <laughs> so, uh, this is so. not blackmail, but I think it deserves perhaps an Amari Stoudemire style cameo, or at least an invite to the premiere. Yeah, you don't even have to pay us the SAG minimum. We'll no. come in there. <laughs> we will go. We, we will, will go. Totally you know, we will totally waive our SAG uh, fee on it, and uh, we're not, we're not even going to claim par- to be part of the union for this one. For once, I don't need to be credited. Right. I don't need to be anything. I just need to be able to show my children and my grandchildren. You know, I'm serious when instead of grandkids and great grandkids, I say children. Right. When you, uh, you know, <laughs> like grandchildren. That means I mean business. Uh, I want to be able to show them that I was part of this this journey. Come sit in my lap, grandchildren. I shall I, tell you about my group or two. Um, like many people yeah. in New Zealand are able to tell their kids about, you know, if you if you watch uh, this beautiful landscape, uh, you know, your uncle and I, we hiked this the day before uh, they shot this in Return of the King. Um, I would like to be able to tell my grandkids the same, but about uh, about landscapes in MacGruber. And I think. You know, I think we can work our way into potentially a speaking part once we get on set because, as you and I both know, we're incredible, incredible actors. We, we pretend like we like each other every week. I believe the term is Juilliardian, Richard. <laughs> I think that is a term, and I think it describes us quite <laughs> well. Like I think there's never been one. But, man, I'm so excited about this. Um, it is Regardless, yeah. we're going to have a huge – we're going to have a big – I think it's – it's early enough that we can start planning maybe. Yeah, we're ra- renting out the Alamo Draft House. We're throwing yeah. a huge bash, premiere party, live podcast. It's all going to be, yeah. If you live outside of the, out of the DF Dub, the Plex, the Dallas, the Fort Worth, the Leanton, um, as they're all called, uh, I think it's now time to start monitoring those Southwest accounts and see how deeply <laughs> you yeah. can get here because when that movie premieres, it's going to be a mad about fest. I can't wait. It's um, it's been a long time coming, and I like to think, like I said, it's totally cocky of me to say this, but I like to think we had something to do with them thinking that it would be a good idea, uh, because we have sent them our show, or they've listened to our was it they listened to our podcast and then tweeted us. Yorma no, like heard our episode or something. Yorma has listened to the episode on I think both episodes on MacGruber. There's a live episode and then a regular episode on it. Yeah, and uh, that I sent over to him. Uh, so they're fans and they said they're, they really like the episode and all that. So I'm, I'm excited. We're going to get, have to get the, the cast on the show, maybe come to the premiere. Yeah. We're going to, or how about we go to the premiere? How about they invite us? That's and then what we, I said. We live will... podcast on the red carpet at I the actual we... premiere. Yeah, there we go. I think we should, I think we should totally do that. And I think we should hand out celery to everyone that attends the, uh, 
the Chinese theater to see uh, the premiere. I will say again, I've said multiple times, if this was on Netflix, if the original was on Netflix, it would, this would be a way bigger story than it was. And this made, I think the top of Reddit uh, movie news wow. of the weekend was the top cool. story was MacGruber. So people are excited about this. It's kind of got a yeah, cool it's a following. Cool class. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. But I mean, if it was on any kind of streaming service, it would be through the roof though. Like no, still, there's still, I guess it's maybe why it's, so popular is because it's really underground, you know, like yeah. if it's not on Netflix or on, you know, a big hit in theaters, nobody's going to see it. <laughs> you know, it seems like right. you have to literally go see, like type it in and seek it out to find it. That sounds weird. You can't, you know, blockbuster is mm -hmm. not a thing anymore. You can't just walk by and see it and, <laughs> and get it. Um, right. So I can't wait. And hopefully they, maybe Netflix puts it on there. And then again, MacGruber two is a Netflix movie, which would be awesome. Go watch it 50 times before we do our first episode on it, which is the plan. We'll, we'll, st right. we'll still run out of theater and, and, uh, and, uh, in do case, in case you're wondering, as if this is your first, God forbid, uh, episode you've listened to our show, um, and you're wondering why that movie, um, because it wasn't successful, uh, we did, like I said, two episodes on it. And I suggest just go listen to those and go watch the movie. And we pretty much clarify why we've promoted it and uh, think it's a funny, funny movie. I think so, it is. I don't have enough time to go far, in for it for now. Yeah. Real quick, quick version of that. If you like, like the classic spoof movies of like airplane and um, you know, all the, all that classic stuff, it's right Scary up your alley. Movie. If you've seen a lot of great action mm -hmm. films, it's right up your alley. And if you just look, there are a million better comedies in the world. And I make this differentiation million better comedies in MacGruber. Maybe not a million. There's a few better comedies than MacGruber, but there is no funnier movie than MacGruber ever. I would I would say laugh for laugh. That's the funniest movie ever made. And those are two different things, comedy and, and just make you laugh. And it's brilliant and impeccably written and acted and directed. And it's perfect. And if you like to laugh and you're under the age of like 40, uh, check out uh, check out the groups. OK, shall we welcome our guest on? I think we should. And I'm ready to fight them. Because, you know, I don't take well to vis visitors. <laughs> All right. You know that about me? Well, it's going to be interesting then. All right. Hello, everyone. Pardon the intrusion. Brett and Chris from 302010 here to tell you about another podcast on the Wondery Network. That's right. It's 302010, the show that takes a look at a specific week in history 30 years ago, 20 years ago, and 10 years ago. We go sequentially through the entire year of 2016, looking back at 86, 96, and 2006. That's movies, music, TV, games, the number one song, the number one movie. We look through the past and bring it up again because who else will? For instance, did you know that the same week Perfect Strangers debuted in 1986, Resident Evil? Evil debuted 10 years later. That's so weird. Did you know, Chris, that Chernobyl exploded what? in 1986, the same week 20 years later that Mission Impossible 3 from J.J. Abrams debuted in theaters? Wow. In each episode, we provide you trailers, sound clips, quotes, fun anecdotes from the era, and even what we were up to in those formative years. Go to Wondery.com slash 302010, that's the words, not the number, for the full list of episodes, or check us out on iTunes. It's all trivial, but we're going to talk about all of it. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's 
tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. So we welcome now David from the podcast Secret Crimes and Audio Tapes to the Mad About Movies podcast. Welcome, David. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going great. It's good to have you, man. Good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's. Yeah, um, I already. I yeah, already like ahead. this guy. I already like him. Man. <laughs> He's already better than Brian. Your third co-host, yeah. permanent oh, third co-host. No, no, don't don't throw Brian under the bus. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's getting his face worked on. Yeah, he's under the he's under the knife right now, literally. Um, but it's fine, and we're glad you're here. And Thank you. what we want to do is put you through the ringer. We we have a lot of guests on the show in the past, some great right. listeners, some I'm great ready to be run. guests. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you about um, some movies and uh, get your opinion on them, and then we're going to talk right. a little bit about your podcast and what it is. Um, okay, so prepare to be disappointed. I may not know a lot of these. Let's let's do it. Okay. First of all, yes, have sir. you seen the movie MacGruber? I have not seen MacGruber. All right. Well, it's been good, David. Uh, it's it's been a great night, and we hope you have a good one. <laughs> but we have to go. Really um, fun having yeah, you on, man. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, boys. <laughs> no, uh, you need to see it. Well, let's side recommend. But I have another question for you. Um, yes, and uh, this I would drum roll if I had drums. Yeah, this one's more important. <laughs> have you seen him. this guy's a pro? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the movie? Now you see me. I have seen neither that nor its vaunted sequel. Oh, good. Oh, oh yeah. shoot, good. Oh, I was gonna say, <laughs> if you had if you had seen Now You See Me, but had not seen MacGruber, this was gonna be another mm-hmm. separate conversation that we were gonna have to have off the air. So is good. this like a shibboleth test to see if I've listened <laughs> to your podcast? <laughs> it is. Uh, it, I don't really care your opinion on it. I just wanted to make sure you hadn't seen it because that would lead again to maybe forty five minutes of us just talking about Now You See Me, which the fans don't need more of. All right. Sure. So what we do want to do is uh, get your thoughts on some of your favorite movies, uh, kind of your background a little bit. And uh, so sure. I'm first going to say, who, what, 
what's your kind of Mount Rushmore of films, just like kind of your favorite movies that you grew up on or maybe the ones that have stuck with you oh, over the years? All right. Um, this is hard for me. Um, I So I think we're probably going to end up discussing this a little bit tonight if I can draw the conversation in that direction. But one of my favorite films is the 1987 Lawrence Kasdan film Silverado. Um, with Kevin oh. Klein, Kevin Costner, yeah. Scott Glenn, really Danny movie. Glover. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, I So I I have an English and film degree. Uh, and I think if I hadn't gone down the, path, the life path that I ended up going down, I probably would have wanted to be an animation historian. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of my favorite pictures are animated. And I think overall, um, oh, it's so hard to make this call. I think... One of my favorite one of my favorite films is definitely um, the Thief and the Cobbler by Richard Williams. If you're familiar, mm-hmm. is that a is that a mm-hmm or a uh-uh? No, that is a yes. That is an affirmative mumble. So mm-hmm. That's uh, so, so for, the, for the listeners who might not be for aware, NPR, so we we really work on our mm-hmm. yes. Continue <laughs> on your on your diction, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, so for the, yes. have you covered it on the show before? No, we have not. Okay, so for listeners who might not be aware, uh, Richard Williams was the animation director on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's also famous for his title sequences. So Mm -hmm. if you've ever watched a movie like, for example, Something Funny Happened on the Way to the Forum with Zero Mostel, and you were like, whoa, that title sequence with the flies is way better and more intricate than it needs to be, that's Richard Williams right there. Uh, And The Thief and the Cobbler was this passion project that he worked on for, I think, 27 years uh, and it's incredibly gorgeous and mostly not done, uh, not finished. He's done with it. Uh, it was taken over by a completion bond company. Um, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of see that movie as both the makings of an incredible work of art, but also an object lesson about perfectionism. You might also it might also be called for the listener the Princess and the Cobbler. I think another title for it. This movie, correct? Mm-hmm. Richard also, Williams. Also, Arabian Night was the way it was released Miramax um, the completion bond company finished it as a uh, a musical with Matthew Broderick and Jonathan Winters but there are a bunch of different versions floating around the version I like you can find on YouTube for free it's called the recobbled cut uh, and it's a uh, painstakingly reassembled as close to the original cut of the film as they could get it wow cool interesting anything else on a kind of your top uh, yeah. films um you a Star Wars guy? The Secret of Tales. Yeah, I'm a Star Wars guy. I like Star Wars a lot. Did you like, uh, what was your episode seven synopsis or thoughts? I had a lot of fun. Um, I think I was very anxious that it was going to be garbage. Uh, and then it turned <laughs> out to be great. And I was really happy and delighted by how real and solid and physical it felt. Um how how not divorced from physical reality it was. Mm-hmm. I think I think Revenge of the Sith gets a gets a bad rap just because it's one of the prequels and the prequels were in general pretty not great. But um, I I definitely think the Force Awakens had this. It, it more closely approximated the '70s blockbuster feel, just mm-hmm. because there seemed to be a lot more in the way of practical effects. And I'm a sucker for practical effects. I feel the same way about the Hellboy pictures. Yeah, yeah, no, those made those great, and Del Toro did wonderful work with those. Very underappreciated. But mm-hmm. um, let's move on and let's talk about the Magnificent Seven. Um, sure. 
Especially as a Silverado fan, I'm interested in your perspective now. Yeah, I just Mm -hmm. want to say, side note, interesting that you're such an animation fan because we've talked about animation a number of times in the past couple years. Pretty much every big animated movie that's come out, we've discussed the How You're Training Your Dragons and the the Finding Dories and such. Um, And uh, just, I feel like I'm alone on the island of animation on the show. So it's good that there are people out there that actually actively care about animation and animation for adults, too. So yeah, I'm sure you're a BoJack Horseman fan. Then I, I do, I, I do like that show. Cool, that's a, that's a quality show. That's a hot take. David likes a good show. Yeah, <laughs> Kent. Uh, you know, to be fair, you're normally the only one consistently on LSD that hosts this. Yeah, show. Yeah, I am. So it at helps. this moment too, so that helps. <laughs> helps. Too. It makes your editing fantastic. But before we get the Magnificent Seven, David, why don't you tell us? Uh, David's a podcast host as well. And uh, yes, sir. yeah, let's let's hear a little bit about uh, about your show and, and what you guys do and uh, and, sure. and kind of discuss that a little more forward. We dive too far in the movie because your podcast is really cool. And I, I want everyone, everyone Thank to you. know about it. I appreciate it. So I'm the host of two podcasts on the Wondery Network. The first one is an anthology series uh, called Radio Drama Revival. Uh, both of them are about audio fiction uh, and what I do in RDR is folks come on the show, uh, I talk to creators, and we play a feature. And the main reason that I'm here tonight is to talk about the new show that we just premiered through Wondery. It's called Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape. And I host that as well. Uh, and right now we have, uh, when this comes out, we will have just released uh, our series about, um, it, it's called Air Force One, and it's a fictionalized version of the first hour following the death of John F. Kennedy, the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is we make, we, we produce and we rebroadcast um, audio drama, uh, really immersive, high quality, um, prestige audio fiction. Um, and, and I think a lot of people have a different impression uh, when I say audio drama or radio drama. Uh, they think about a very particular kind of staid, um, audio drama from the 1940s and the medium, there are still plenty of people that are making wonderful old time style radio. Um, but the medium has also progressed. I would say it's, if you'll forgive me, it's like television with better pictures. Ah, I see what you did there. Cool. Yeah. Shot across (laughs) the bow. Wow. That made me think a little bit. Uh, that's never happened on this show before. I don't know what to do. Um, (laughs) we, so yeah, so, so Secrets, Crimes, and Audio Tape has a charter to bring you shows about love, crimes, secrets, uh, mysteries, and conspiracies. So you're, br- the, you're the bringing back uh, Stacy Keach, yeah. You're bringing back kind of the Orson Welles radio drama, uh, sit in your living room with the kids and listen to the radio kind of uh, storytelling. So is, is that kind of maybe on, on I the, would on say the path of that, or I would say more investigation. Yeah, I would say this is definitely intended to be more of a. You can listen in the car, sure, but your best listening experience, these are designed for podcast listeners. They are binaural. So you do it with both earphones in, maybe you're lying in bed or just sitting in an easy chair with a cup of hot cocoa, uh, and then you allow yourself to be transported um, right. because it really is like you're being inserted into the middle of the action. The way a lot of these pieces have been recorded is there's um, a microphone set up in an XY pattern in the middle of the actors. So it really feels like you're in the oh, center. It feels of the like scene. you're. I, I did something at like Disney World a few years ago that was like that. Like you put on headphones mm-hmm. and you go into a room and it sounds like there was one where you're like getting your hair cut and it sound, you can hear the scissors mm-hmm. on like the sides of your head. 
and stuff. It was really, yep. really incredible. Um, I just, I was amazed kind of that that technology hadn't taken off more the like 3d sound technology, you know, there's definitely mm-hmm. a lot of stuff you can do with it, but that's very cool to see that you're taking advantage of it. So secret crimes and audio tape is the podcast subscribe on mm-hmm. the iTunes and, uh, check out other shows from Wondery, which is our same network, which is why yep, yep. this is such a natural fit for you to come on and talk with us tonight. And uh, so all the Wondery shows are great, and Secret Crimes and Audio Tape is one of them. And so check that out on the iTunes. Okay, so let's move on, and let's hit some Mag, Mag 7 talk here. Um, sure. What, what are your thoughts on the original, just kind of briefly? So, okay, so here's the thing. So I listened to your previous episode, but I, mm-hmm. in preparing for this episode, I studiously avoided watching the original. I didn't want it to color my impression. I wanted to see this film on its own merits. I, I figure sometime in the next, you know, five or six years, I'll probably watch Magnificent Seven again, but I haven't seen it, I'm willing to say, in probably a decade. Okay. Wow. In a decade? But yeah. you, But what were your thoughts a decade ago on it, I guess? Did you have it help? hold it in high regard in your in your mind or was it just kind of a yeah that's fine it's a movie so i'm a i'm a score collector uh i'm i'm a big fan of 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 film scores uh and soundtracks and so i've always had very high regard for the elmer bernstein score for that film um i don't i gotta i gotta tell you i don't really deeply remember the action of that picture it's not like one of those movies that's in constant rotation for me yeah that's um i i love westerns i love i love the genre i love john ford westerns i love sam peckinpah westerns um but i just don't i don't really remember like i want i wanted to put it out of my head and just take this new one on its own merits uh that's that's good and fresh because richard and i watched the last one and again like like you said we uh we discussed it last week Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going in kind of anticipating this in a way that I didn't think I would. I, I really did not know what Fuqua was going to do here. I didn't know what, what, if mm-hmm. he was going to just Gus Van Sant psycho it and just completely just remake, uh, Magnificent Seven with the same, with different actors, you know, kind of a thing or an updated cinematography and effects and all, and all the above. Um, but he didn't do that really. Um, he made kind of his own film, kind of loosely structured around the structure of Magnificent Seven. That's, I mean, of course, it's called that, and um, that's it's what it is at the end of the day. But I didn't feel like it relied too much on the story that was laid out in the original. It's inspired by it. It it pays homage to it. It draws from it. Um, but I feel like this is definitely a movie of its own, and that was very refreshing. I didn't feel like I was watching a cheap knockoff of the original. Like I, I feel like I do like with a Ghostbusters or with a, a RoboCop or or one of those other remakes that have come out. Um, I feel like this kind of stands on its own as a its own franchise. And um, I was, uh, we'll get into general thoughts here uh, first. We'll save some spoiler sure. spoilers for for later. Um, but generally, okay. Well, um, I I'm gonna give mine and say that I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Um, it was better than I thought it was gonna be. I mean, it really. I really had a lot of fun. I mean, this was maybe the most popcorny movie I've seen this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe besides uh, a, a Star Trek Beyond or one of those just kind of fun action movies that have come out. Um, this one mm-hmm. blew my mind at how well it was shot, how gorgeous it was, 
how well uh, the actors worked together, um, how much it did, how much it you know well represented different ethnicities in a natural way that didn't seem shoehorned or anything like that. Um, it did a lot. It spoke a lot there, um, and I we we talked about Fuqua's one of his past films on the show uh, with Denzel, The Equalizer. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a fan of the Equalizer. I really, I, I think I might have given it an A minus or something on the show. Um, didn't do that well at the box office. Kind of came and went. And then a movie called John Wick came out about a year later, literally the next fall. And everyone forgot about the Equalizer. And I was like, I remember in the John Wick review saying, I thought this was just the Equalizer, but worse. You know, like as far mm-hmm. as action and and just kind of a badass character that we can follow around. Um, I loved the way Fuqua shot the action scenes in The Equalizer. And I was like, man, I just can't wait to see what he does with more action-themed stuff. And then, again, with Denzel again, if they ever were to re-team. And so this is kind of that, the the potential that I saw there in the action, plus Chris Pratt, plus all these great ensemble, plus, like, a Western, you know, <laughs> like something we mm-hmm. we haven't we don't get a lot of, and it's kind of refreshing to see, especially a, ref, a, a Western that's fun and good and not wild wild west, you know, like doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like it's in a back lot, you know, like this feels like it's uh you're out in the wilderness and it feels as as natural as as Tarantino's Hateful Eight did, which is like literally shot in Wyoming and in places, you know, like uh mm-hmm. they didn't skimp any there, but I really really. Um, had a fun time watching this. I'll have some complaints as well, of course, but I was pleasantly surprised by Magnificent Seven. Uh, so, David, right. what are your general what's your general impression of of this movie? Well, this is going to be a fun forty five minutes, huh? Because yeah. I think I had the opposite. Yes, uh, I drew the opposite conclusions. Uh, I I thought it was like a tired slog. I would give it maybe a C minus. Uh, in terms of just like enjoying the did, grade away. I was, like, I was ready to enjoy this movie. Like I like westerns. I like action. Uh, I like like adventure films. And this just did not grab me. I didn't feel like the script was especially good. I thought that the visual direction was really muddy. I have a lot of problems with like the representation. Um, I think that there's like points for effort, but then points taken away for execution. Uh, in a lot of the in a lot of the casting, I also feel like Pratt was desperately miscast. Um, he, he's the only. We can go into all yeah. that stuff point by point. Yeah, he's the only one that feels out of place or kind of jarring. It feels like, oh, we're yeah. in this Western world, and then there's Chris Pratt over there sitting down and <laughs> playing poker. You know, kind Look, of. Look, it's thing. Andy Dwyer. Yeah, how fun! Maybe. So we should say so. that. Um, uh, Chris Pratt plays the Steve McQueen character. He plays mm-hmm. this this gambler character. Um, and I, I just did not, I didn't, I think I didn't fully grok the rules for violence for this film. I think that every action movie, um, that involves a lot of gunplay and has characters that are ostensibly supposed to be good guys sets up rules of engagement that are consistent throughout the film. Like, all right, you know, the in 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 Star Wars, we set up that Han Solo is kind of. Can I? Is this a blue podcast? Can I swear? Uh, I would keep it PG thirteen. I don't. You could say butt okay. and hell, and that's pretty much it. Okay. But that's it. Got uh, it. Otherwise, the microphones explode right in your hands. Sure, sure. I want to protect 
the the business. Um, like in, in in Star Wars, you can tell right away that Han Solo's character is a an unscrupulous rogue who is going to be on a redemptive path because he he shoots first without provocation, uh, and that kind of goes against the unspoken right. rules. Right. Yeah, of sure what a, what's that say again? He did. You're right, Han shot first. That's right. Right, um, and that that's that's a character moment that serves to prove that he's kind of like an unscrupulous bastard. Um, it's it's interesting because uh, Denzel Washington's character Chisholm is the only person who I think has one consistent tactic throughout the film, and it's that he always offers to disarm himself. Um, yeah. He always like puts himself forward sacrificially, and he takes off. He'll like undo his gun belt. Or he'll hand his firearm to someone else, and he'll be like, let's talk about this. And he'll put himself in the line of fire, I guess because he has maybe some kind of death wish. I don't know. We can talk about that, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, Faraday, um, um, Chris Pratt's character, is supposed to be, like, a charming rogue. But I just kind of interpreted him as just a little evil. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get any of that like charisma. I was like, this person is just unbalanced, and I don't enjoy spending time with him. He's he's, I guess, the Steve McQueen of the story. If you want to draw a parallel there um, on what I guess they were going for t- casting wise, is just kind of the cool guy who doesn't really care and has a skill, so, so, but doesn't. Uh, yeah. But literally is only there to make snarky comments and look cool. I mean, that's it. I mean, he smokes cigarettes and, and like leans against the post at the saloon. Like that's his, that's his role in this movie. And that's it. Like I I can't bring myself to think that I'm supposed to care any more about him than I do. And you're supposed Mm -hmm. to, at the end, spoilers at the end, you're supposed to care a lot about him because of what he does for the others. You know, like you're supposed to say, man, that guy, I hated that guy, but man, well, that was really cool. What he did, you know? Um, I, I just yeah. kind of think he's supposed to be, like, you kind of hate Han Solo. You, you like him in a way, but you're kind of like, man, that guy's really kind of rude. And, like, mm-hmm. I like Luke. Like, Luke's the one we like, right? You know? Like, because he's so nice. I don't I don't know. I read, so I spent a lot of time reading uh, this screenwriting blog called uh, Cockeyed Caravan that talks a lot about polarized three-part ensembles, like three-part lead ensembles, and how... Um, you know, like it's polarized between there's a head character, a heart character and a gut character. And once you start seeing these archetypes, you'll see them repeated everywhere. So Han is gut. Uh, Luke is heart. Leia is head. Right. You can right. do the same thing to the Star Trek triad. So like Kirk is gut um, or no, sorry. Kirk is heart. Spock is head um, and Bones is gut, I think. Um and like the three characters aren't complete without the other, like they are all interdependent. Um, and so I don't know. I also find like Luke is supposed to be a little bit irritating on his own. Like it's only when the three those three characters are together that they're actually like effective and enjoyable to be around. I feel like this is more of a I don't know, like a buddy cop Men in Black kind of a thing, rather than a. Luke, Leia, and Han kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. with, with Denzel and yeah. Chris Pratt. It's more of a, we're, we're kind of, we come from different worlds, but we still get along kind of a thing. Um, or sure. we're, we're kind of, we're only together f- because of the mission that we're on. Like, otherwise we'd never talk in real life. It's kind of like what Django Unchained kind of worked on with uh, 
the bounty hunter and the dentist. It's like, why would these two people ever be together? It's like, oh, because they have this one common co- common cause. But Richard, before we get too far into this, I want to sure. get your general thoughts. Yeah, let's get Richard. Bring Richard into this. I will. I mean, I, I get to be the arbiter here. I, I enjoy it. I can, uh, I can, uh, you know, send you both my Venmo ID and and decide who wants me to agree with them more. Um, no, look, it's I a, give uh, you ten of your American dollars. Hey, <laughs> I'm in. Um, you speak my love language, there, Davey. Uh, yeah. So no, but it's a. Uh, there, I'm I, I'm trying not to fall in between you guys, uh, here. You know, I I see I definitely see Ken's point about the the at least intended dynamic between these characters. Um, but before we get into those, I want to talk about the supporting cast in this is really quite good. Like Ethan Hawke, you know, it's like I kind of wish they had given him and Denzel have such a magnetic um, aura about them, and a lot of that's just the remaining aura of Training Day, and I wish there had been more of that. Something about their the way the way their intensities meet is really always really interesting. Sure. Um, and so, like, I wish that this had exploited it more instead of. But at the end of the day, uh, straight you know straight cash, homie. So you gotta you gotta have Chris Pratt, who's one of the the three biggest movie stars in the world probably right now, and Denzel. You gotta you gotta exploit that. I don't I don't think uh, as much as I love uh, Mr. Hawk, I don't think he's he's putting butts in the seats as it were. So. Um, so I, 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 I found the idea of that character of mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke's character, Goodnight sure. Robichaux, really compelling. I just don't buy the friendship between a um, between a black peace officer and a former Confederate officer in 1879. Uh, yeah, I, I I get that too. But this goes back to what I said. This is a this is about the misfit. Uh, gang, you know, these are people that would like the Suicide Squad. They would never hang out. The only reason they're together is because Denzel needs somebody who can shoot. I, re- I literally don't guys, care who it is. Guys are pals. They were like hugging and being like, they come to we love each so other so much in the war. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I mean, I I see how 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 their broken parts complement one another, and so they've kind of like yeah broken, so they fall together. But it's still, I was like, this seems way too easy and too pat. Because, like, 14 years prior to, you know, where this when this movie takes place, Denzel Washington's character would not have been a citizen of the United States. He has a he has a a mission that's that's not made clear until more of the end. Uh, They they hint at it and and the fact that he only wants to get involved because he knows the guy that that. uh, So I I guess the, the way that this really follows the. The first one I should preface is to say that uh, this is about you know a town gets overtaken by somebody, and uh, in the first one they're kind of like we're gonna we took your money we're gonna come take it again you know kind of a thing, and so they need to go f- come go find uh, people mm-hmm. or they need to go get guns in the first one but they go to get the guns and the people that are selling them the guns say you need people because y'all aren't gonna know how to shoot them, and then there's a lot of you know gun training and stuff like that happening, sure. but um, this one kind of takes that idea and says, okay, or I'm not taking your guns. I'm going to kill all of you and destroy your town. You know, when I come back, yeah, I, I think, think we can, kinda, I think we can get a little bit more there. specific here. What was that guy's name? Was that Sarsgaard? Was that Peter Bogue, Sarsgaard? Borg, Borg or, Bogue yeah, or something? Barth- yeah. Bartholomew Bogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's this, uh, like 
nightmare universe Leland Stanford, like some kind of uh, mining magnate who lives in Sacramento. And for some reason, like he's got this very profitable gold vein. It's I I thought, did you notice uh, when this when the film began, I thought it was beginning with a bank robbery, but it was actually a bank robbery in reverse. I thought that was actually the the clever move that I appreciated the most. That was a cool scene. It had a really good opening. This film did. It did. This movie, Peter Sarsgaard's. Yeah. yeah. He, he's a pretty, uh, ugly, mean guy. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wish we had kind of gotten more of the villain here. He kind of comes in the beginning and then we have this assembling of the team stuff. And then, uh, we get kind of some action interspersed there, but this is all leading up to kind of the climactic scene that, you know, is coming. Like, when is he going to come back? What's going to happen? Kind of a thing, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like this one was very well paced. It, it did a, it kind of abandoned the uh, um, when they get to the town, like after they assemble the Magnificent Seven in the in the original, they get to the town and every member kind of has a different role in society. Like one of them is like, "Oh, I'm going to teach all the little children how to do stuff," you know, and they have all these relationships with different people in the town and you're supposed to sympathize with the people when the, mm-hmm. when the, uh, the villain comes back and all that, they, they really skipped that here. You know, yeah, I kind really of did. appreciated that. I, that was my main complaint last week when we talked about this was, um, they're just too bogged down and like talky stuff in the middle of the movie that you forget you're even watching a, a Western. Um, this one really, tries to do the opposite and just it's so much gunfighting in this um but i guess I, I, where my friction is with is that is it i guess where my friction comes with that ken is like i don't why if if they don't talk to anybody why the heck am i supposed to care um because i think like what are it's, they what are they in it for what are they trying about, to prove by protecting this i think it's more it's more about um oh there's the bad guy we know he's coming back so we that's it. I mean that's that's the only thing this movie is trying to do is just simple good versus bad kind of a thing. You know, it's not it's not mm-hmm. trying to develop characters really. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 the only development they are are the communication between them, and um, that does it very well. Like I said, the ethnicities are very I feel like well represented here, and not in a shoehorn kind of way. Like they actually got actors from that you know it didn't have johnny depp playing tonto kind of thing here sure um so i appreciated that it it did it, it, it um it, it didn't get too talky but it, there was some fun quips between the characters i think there was funny lines written for each each personality uh it it, it worked for the most part and the humor like there's a lot of attempts at humor in these kinds of movies that just don't work in any sense, mm-hmm. like from the character mm-hmm. or just from a plain joke perspective. I feel like they worked uh, here a lot. So that in and of itself gives, shows me chemistry. Like if, if actors can work together and make funny scenes, uh, they have to have chemistry, some kind of chemistry off the set, some kind of natural humor about their way they interact. And uh, I feel like this had that. Like it, I, I legit felt like these people – liked each other or at least um had a believable relationship um but I, like i said it doesn't get too talky and it just really kind of knows what it is it's like we're just going to do badass gunfighting scenes intermixed sure. with kind of these things and and that's that's fine and for me it, it if you're going to do that of low expectations you know where where everything is is scaled to cosmic and superhero proportions there is something uh it it's see, even though this is Kent, you're right. It's essentially a movie about gunfights and and bare moments within those, between those, it does seem like a smaller scale because everything has been so 
uh, gigantic, you know, and so there's there's context to that as well. I think I would say that if this is being set up as a fight between good and evil, I want to go back to like the rules and the vocabulary of violence, because I think that the way that characters in a film, especially if it's going to be something as Manichaean as like evil Gilded Age land baron, you know, mine owner versus ragtag band of heroes, then the way in which the way in which those heroic characters like prosecute violence against other characters in the film world, especially absent any dialogue, is all the that's all that's gonna be all the information that you're gonna get about them like morally. And I feel like the way that these characters are introduced and set up really makes a lot of them pretty freaking suspect. Like the only the only person where I was like, okay, this guy put himself in danger in order to give his quarry a fair shake to come along peaceably is Chisholm. When Chisholm as character is introduced, that's um, mm-hmm. Denzel Washington's mm-hmm. character. Because he walks into that bar and he puts down, you know, uh, I thought this was reminiscent of, in fact, Danny Glover's entrance into uh, into the film Silverado um, because it's the story of, you know, a, after the Civil War, a black man enters a white establishment and everyone looks at him real suspiciously and then he gets in a fight um, and and proves himself to be, you know, more skilled and more powerful and smarter than everybody else in the bar. Um, and I think that's like the only time in the film where you're like, OK, that character is an unambiguously good dude, because when we get to Vincent D'Onofrio's character, when that guy's introduced, uh <laughs> That was terrifying to me. He's just got so a hatchet. And he's just throwing. It. He's yeah. like a he's like a horror movie villain, basically. Totally. It was kind of yeah, awesome, though. It was just kind of like man character. Yeah, he's like, I don't give a crap. I have a beard. I'm not gonna shower, but I'm gonna freaking throw a hatchet through your face, and no one's gonna see it coming, kind of a thing. And I just, I mean, I, I felt like that, that introductory scene was. I felt like that introductory scene was being played for laughs. Uh, there are these two bounty hunters that are like, yeah, we got the legendary Jack Horn. We even got his rifle. And then like a hatchet comes from off screen and like pegs someone right in the, right in the face. Yeah. He, um, I, I, like, again, like I said, I can't say enough good things about, about the supporting cast. Um, but what do we think about the female character here? Um, one that we did not have in the original Magnificent Seven. Um, and, it, it comes to a point, like thin, in the climax of the field of the film character. Yeah, it, it comes to the point. I mean, she ends up mattering a lot towards the end, um, which is how kind of an eye roll. To, I mean, how far do we want to get into just before we go into spoilers here? Um, let's just go ahead until now. yeah. That's let's fine. hit spoilers. Okay, spoilers coming up now for Magnificent Seven. So, Boop. in the way, yeah, in the way that it um, kind of unfolds is that. Uh, Chisholm and Borg, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna call them Borg because it sounds like Beetleborgs, sure. which was an awesome show. Remember the Power Rangers rip rip off? Yeah, big big bad Beetleborgs. I could still sing you sing, sing you the theme song if you ever need it. Can just sing. Okay, I do need it actually right now. Yeah, I would I would also be curious. Oh gosh, here we go. <clears throat> Let me get my pitch pipe. Do you need a pitch? Uh, it was like. Big bad Beetleborgs. It was just wow. Oh, I God. forgot that melody, and now it's all coming back. So thank <laughs> you, Richard. This has been Beetleborg well, Talk. 
Uh, spinoff podcast coming soon. Nostalgia mm. Central. Okay, so remember, remember this? It all, yeah, it all sets up kind of to this uh, character reveal with Chisholm and the fact that uh, why would he care so much, you know, about all this? Um, and the fact that he finds out who's behind or who's the one that's going to take over the town Borg and the fact that he reveals at the end of the movie when he comes face-to-face with them, finally, that um, Borg raped his family, kind, kind of says that, um, raped and killed his his family and then I thought he left paid him to for, hang. I thought he paid for the Blackstone thugs to burn down the homestead yeah. and like destroy like the the black community in the part of Kansas that he was living. I I thought it was he killed his family and there was some kind of yeah, killing his daughter. I didn't I think he that. did it personally. I think he paid his people, for it. I, I mean his crew bankrolled like, a yeah. campaign of terror. He and yeah. left him to hang basically. That's 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 mm-hmm. the reveal. He shows it on his neck kind of a a scar. And that's the big moment is like I finally get my revenge on the person who has brought me so much pain. And the world's a very sim- cliche kind of a character arc, but that's fine. Um, mm-hmm. But the reveal is that uh, the Borg is reaching for his gun at the last minute right as he's about to die. And then, boom, uh, he gets shot. So what do we think about that? And was it kind of uh, anticlimactic in the fact that? Uh, Chisholm wasn't even the one to do it at the end. He didn't even get that. Re- he has a redemption that he's dead, but he didn't have that personal redemption of, oh, I ended this guy. I've, I've accomplished my mission kind of a thing. Like, oh, uh, if, I I, like if I was hurt, yeah. if I was him, I'd be like, dang it, girl, what are you doing? I had him, you know, kind of. A <laughs> but he did. He was to pulling use, out a gun. Yeah, he would have died. Yeah, to use the parlance of, uh, you know, online uh esports as it were like i don't i don't fault emma for kill stealing mm-hmm. in that moment uh <laughs> it's how the kids talk um i think uh but i i just i think that whole throughout that whole sequence i was like why is he doing this why like there were a couple of times throughout the film when i was just saying why don't you just shoot him and it was about several different people um, I didn't understand the way that this film was paced. I also think that like it operated under the um, video game boss theory of gunshot wound capacity. <laughs> of um, course. Because, because every, if you'll permit me, every non-player character, right, um, one shot, doesn't matter where, they're down. They're, they're, they're down for good. Uh, and Bogue takes something like, six five or six shots from uh from chisholm and then chisholm follows him as he like kind of straggles into the church and strangles him to death which i get again thematically because he survived a lynching i get that right um but like this slimy bastard like is the whole reason that the 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 whole plot exists and the reason that the plot exists is because Bogue shot an unarmed man in cold blood with no warning. Why would you ever get within 15 feet of him, even for the sake of revenge? That was what I was like silently and furiously scribbling in my notebook in the dark. I'm looking at it now. It looks like I was drunk, drunk and on a plane upside down. <laughs> well, the reason is, is because we didn't have a scene earlier just where, where Denzel's like, Bogue, 
I've, I've been looking for it my whole life, you know, kind of a thing. We had to have that mm-hmm. that moment where, first of all, we find out about what happened, and then second of all, that he tries to do something about it. Um, I guess the only way that he could do that is to dis- disable him in some way, shoot him. I mean, shoot him not to the death. Maybe he shot him on purpose, not to the death. Mm. I don't know. But I, I did like uh, what you said earlier about, I mean, this movie is a throwback to Westerns in almost every way, uh, just in how it's made, the score, the cinematography, um, the effects. Uh, and the effects in the sense that in the back in the day, you get shot, you're dead in a, in a Western. It's like you get shot and then you're like, oh, and you fall to your knees. Mm-hmm. And the first one does most maybe the more iconic uh, scenes like that are in the first one. So it was, it wasn't like Django unchained where, you know, there's going to be blood spewing out of every orifice when you get shot kind of a thing. I, so I appreciated that, but it still did it in a stylistic, like modern way that it didn't feel like it was kids on a, you know, playing a shootout where they're with cap guns, you know, it felt realistic in that sense. I do think the weakest, weakest part of this, film though are the moments where you can tell not necessarily the filmmakers but the studio said hey you know Django made a lot of money what if we did that PG-13 and the scenes that tend to echo those are the weakest scenes in the film how do you mean I mean that I've, I feel like tonally this movie has just kind of like montage hip hoppy like like, yes. like gunshots without really any kind of yeah, there's no um, consequence yeah, of the violence, cons- yeah. which Tarantino doesn't really have either. He just shows it. But but I, I, I'll say that, like, I think that the script was written independently of that. But the fact that that movie made whatever, $500 million, hovers over the, this film quite a bit in terms of, I think, certain um, studio-dictated style at, at points. Think, like, let's yeah. put a moment like this in, a moment like this in. Oh, this did cool. Let's do that. It, it, but it doesn't doesn't affect the whole film but there are moments that are kind of eye-rolly to me but continue David go ahead yeah well okay so I I think that like a shootout at the end of a western is a place where catharsis happens like where all the all the stuff that's been informed throughout the movie gets to be resolved right and if you have a shootout and then you add a bunch of exposition at the last minute in order to artificially ramp up the emotional effect of the villain death. I don't think it's as effective because it's just it's just sort of I think it was a cool informed. I think it was a great reveal to me. It worked on yeah. me as an audience the the showing of the scar like I it was like oh wow this makes this has a lot more meaning now that the fact that he's going to you know why he's doing it why he's done all this and the fact I it worked for me but I I understand that opinion of I wanted more build up. I I wanted that the exposition part maybe earlier. I want that for, exposition yeah. too. I want it earlier. Here if I can play script doctor for yeah. a second. Please. You put that scene at in the middle of act 2 where Emma, Emma Cullen, the the widowed character, the yeah, the the widow who who starts the whole action of the film has like a private moment with Sam Chisholm. Um and you know, she confesses like you know, her anxiety about maybe having to kill people or like how she's struggling with the, the fact that she wants to be the person to kill Bogue. Uh, and then he reveals to her his scar. Like, I think if you have that hanging over the film for longer, then it becomes then I think the longer that a piece of plot information 
is suspended above the action, the more potential energy it accrues. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a it's like a a a, a bottle of champagne, you know, and you pop the co- mm-hmm. the cork at the end, you know, rather than at the beginning where it gets all flat and gross. You know what I mean? Well, I think this is more <laughs> like you remove the like wire cage from the champagne bottle right. and then you're just like, "Oh, uh, when is it going to yeah, pop? Exactly. When is that going to happen?" Sure. Um that's that's all good. I I think this movie really has a, just a few basic goals. Um Okay. And that's fine. Uh, the goals are let's pay homage to the original. Let's take inspiration from the original without remaking it, without completely bastardizing the original or drawing too much from it, um, which it accomplished for me. The second one mm-hmm. was um, let's uh, have some of the most badass uh, gunfight Western scenes ever. Like the the – the uh, expectation here is like in this third act, like I want to be blown. I, I don't want to know what's going on. I want there to be so much action really? that, I, okay. that I don't want to know what's going on. And like to me, the the whole horses coming in at the end thing, the, the like you could see them coming from the distance thing, like that was epic to me. You know, like the way it all builds and everything, and then all hell kind of breaks loose in kind of a Lord of the Rings like. Uh, uh, you know, Return of the King kind of way where it's just like all out mayhem. I really like that rather than just being like a scaled down fight. A couple people die here and there. And then like it, it ends with Borg or Bogue and Denzel kind of like face to face in like a draw scenario where you're going to have to quick draw and like whoever wins, wins the thing. Like that's it. That's what I thought this was going to be, but it ended up being like, Holy crap, what the heck is going on? And then, then Denzel having that moment with him and then revealing the scar and then the girl coming in and shooting him. And I'm like, what is going on? I was just like, I, I did not see that coming in almost any way. Like I, I felt like this, the third act of most of these blockbustery remakes, like is where it falls off and kind of is like predictable. And, uh, and we know he's, the girl's going to get saved at the end, or we know, um, the, the villain's going to die in this way, but it just kind of kept twisting and turning up towards the end. And that was, and I didn't expect. Again, we're in spoilers here. Spoilers. I did not expect Chris Pratt to sacrifice himself for the other people. Like I thought he would, of all people, survive this, and uh, for the sake of sequels and things like that. Um, but the fact that he dies and does that—that's another like kind of middle finger to the standard blockbuster. And the fact that uh, you've killed arguably your most marketable character besides Denzel off the film. And um, you know, does maybe Steve McQueen's character die in the original? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they are they they ride off into the sunset uh, in in the last one as this in, in kind of the same way. But um, this it, it just really kind of showed me like wow like I had several wow I didn't see that coming moments in this and I rarely do so I appreciated that. But again, um, it this wasn't trying to be the Magnificent Seven the original with like this wasn't trying to be. Um, it wasn't trying to do that. It was trying to do something. It was trying to be its own thing. And Mm -hmm. I think I kind of have to take it for what it is. And which was a fun Western, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, where, where it falls short for me is just basic visual legibility. Cause I'm all about like fun, explosive chaos. Like that's, uh, that's, you know, that's got my number, right? Like I love a good, 
like shootout sequence. I thought the stuff with the think, Gatling gun was crazy. Like I was like, what is happening? Yeah, like with the with the whole turret and everything. First, yeah. The first magazine took about three minutes of film time, and then the second <laughs> one took about fifteen seconds. I didn't understand the time dilation. It didn't seem to be the the bad guys didn't seem to have any kind of urgency. It seemed like it took them five or six minutes between magazines. I just thought that was just edited so incoherently. Uh, you know, because you said you said I, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you can tell what's going on, right? It does because like, it's just it, it like just has fun to be, bullet spectacle. It just has to be. It has to feel like more than just people shooting cap guns. Like I said, it has to feel like some kind of climax it has to feel like some kind of weight something big is happening you know it's it's like you can't you have that last scene has to trump the other scenes that came before it in some way or otherwise sure. it's, it's not a third act in any sense of the word you know what i mean it's not it's not the arc that we've been anticipating so for me that was like kind of it's all been leading up to like just the scale was much bigger and the epic nature of the thing was much bigger and mm-hmm. it, they, before we're just seeing kind of isolated incidents, you know, like this is the big, I, I don't think I disagree on like any of those points that the, the third act gunfight needed to be an epic shootout, you know, between these two clashing armies. I think where we differ is I just couldn't tell what the heck was going on. Like I didn't know who was shooting whom at any given moment, unless I saw one of the seven. Otherwise I really couldn't tell the difference between the townsfolk and the hired Blackstone goons. That's a simple flaw of Transformers. You just don't know who's who. <laughs> and it, I think it applies that's, that's to a problem of, of cinematography. I, and, to uh, be honest, I didn't care. So. I thought it was... Why not? I, I was like, people are shooting. I, I, the, the, the camera is not <laughs> shaking around, which I love sure. with Fuqua. He doesn't shaky cam the crap out of all this stuff. He doesn't uh, spin the camera like like Michael Bay or Letier or somebody like that. Um it was a very watchable sequence for me, and so that I appreciated that, which I don't often get. Again, I'm comparing this to all of the movies I've seen this year, and like this was a more refreshing look at uh, what a, a summer blockbuster should represent more than 90% of what we've seen this year. And it, it, you know what I mean? If like if this is the worst thing that came out this year, this is going to be a, a great year. You know? Sure. Um, fair. It, it, this. It was not a complete failure, which was what I expected, especially the September release date. And yeah, it was them, they were going to release it in like January, May. but then they pushed it September. So it's like, wow, if this was, they didn't think this would work in January, they definitely don't think it'll work in September. Let's just get it over with, kind of a thing. And, I don't um, think they finished finished shooting. Did you see that last shot? That yeah. was like that was all CGI. Yeah, it. Um, the speaking of unfinished. Uh, I guess James Horner finished the the score before he passed. Mm-hmm. I think they he had written the score in pre production. Actually, when he read the script, he already knew what he was going to kind of do. I've heard that it pays too much similarities to Legends of the Fall in places, which I did not notice. But I've heard it's kind of a continuation of that, but which is fine. What did you feel like uh, them not using the Magnificent Seven theme until the end? until the credits roll kind of a thing. I, I was like, that's kind of cheap. Like, if you're going to use it, you need to use, yeah, like... if you're going to name your movie it. You're going to name your movie of it, it, first of all. But second of all, if you're going to use it at all, use it yeah. in a part of the movie where it makes the most sense and it's, like, an epic right. moment. Like, maybe when the uh, 
you know, right before the third act or something, or when they come out victorious, it kind of like, it was a waste, like, cause they licensed yeah. it and like re-recorded it, everything. And like, you're only hearing it as you're walking out and tripping over people's sodas, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> it's like, uh, that's good. It could have been much more effective than it was. I think Horner used the original Bernstein theme kind of as a motif in yeah, a couple yeah, places, yeah. but the way it came across... They never had the fanfare, kinda, though. The fanfare never it never no, punches never. in, you know? Which is feel like... It you, just kind of felt like a like a Muzak version of it. I was like, oh, I'm listening <laughs> to a knockoff Bernstein score. I did not... Yeah, I did not... I wasn't a, really... A, uh, the music was fine here. I, I saw how it kind of was a throwback to Westerns, you know? It was kind of the, a more traditional score rather than... Uh, trying to do anything kind of modern, uh, which I appreciated, but um, that original score oh, there wasn't like synth or anything yeah, there wasn't any like kind fun. of like Hans Zimmer like trying to throw <laughs> drum throw like timpanis in here and like doing weird sure. guitar over it and everything. Um, that's sure. so, that, so that was good, but it, it um, for me it is like if you're going to use that theme, like even the first one, it just play the theme is so good. That like Mm -hmm. the first one just plays the theme to footage of like horses walking, and you're like, man, this is awesome because this song is so good and it sets the tone so perfectly. It makes everything better almost. But like I said, you could have used it once. I I I do agree that you you can't overuse it because then it doesn't have its effect. But you could have used it one place in this film that would have made perfect sense, um, and that would have been very effective. It it could have been you know like in Jurassic World. I don't know if you saw that where they use the sure they kind of harken back to the original Jurassic Park theme like four times in the movie, and it's like every time you see anything that was at all associated with the original, the little Jurassic Park like motif again plays in the background on the piano or something like that. It's like just stop, you know, please stop trying to get nostalgia out of me right now. So I appreciated <laughs> that. that this and the fact that it wasn't like, remember Mag Seven? Here's the theme fifty times, but with mm-hmm. synth, you know. Um, and, and it did play it, but I mean, if you're gonna play it once, it could have been a, in a better spot. So uh, we've been talking for a long time about this. We need to wrap up our thoughts on it. But we, what we're gonna do is uh, give grades. Um, I think you've already kind of given your grade, uh, but mm-hmm. if you want to kind of reiterate uh, your grade and why you chose that, uh, David. Sure. All right, so I gave it uh, a C minus, and maybe this is because I went into it with high expectations. I heard that the script was by Nick Pizzolatto, and I'd heard a lot of good things about True Detective, but I, I felt that a lot of the dialogue was uh, kind of purple and flat. It was kind of overwrought, especially coming out of the mouth of uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who fancied himself some kind of warrior poet, but I just <laughs> thought he needed a couple more drafts, you know? Um I wasn't wild about some of the character choices. Like, I didn't understand Vincent D'Onofrio's weird, like, tight squeal of a voice that he chose for himself. I found that to be really off-putting. Martin Sensmeyer's character, Red Harvest, I thought he was a badass. I saw it with my partner, Jillian, thought he was very handsome, and I agree. But I just, the decision that that film made to make this is the Comanche character and they play him off as such an alien, like to the point where he does not seem like a human being. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a questionable decision. Um, and on the grounds of its visual legibility, I had a lot of trouble understanding what was going on in the gunfights, which is the big reason why I wanted to go see the film. Uh, and I felt that Chris Pratt was miscast C minus. Okay. Um, the Comanche character, I 
they do speak to him in Comanche, I think. So one of them had to have learned Comanche at some point. So I think the relatability goes there um, for that for me. Um, but again, this goes back to the thing of these are people who would never associate with each other at all and under, under any circumstance except for this one incident. So that kind of goes back to that for me as well. But I'm going to give my grade. I'm going to give this a B to a B plus uh, somewhere between there. In, in terms of what was I expecting and what did I get, um, I got a lot more than I was expecting. This is a movie that um, is a total rewatch on a Saturday afternoon kind of a thing. Um, have it on in the background, you know, working on your MacBook kind of a movie, fun. Uh, a- again, um, brings back the homage to the Western. Hopefully this kind of inspires better Westerns to come out. We've seen some not-so-good ones in-, in the past. Again, we've seen some more modern Westerns in the the Hell or High Waters or the the uh, No Country for Old Men's, but I don't feel like true Westerns, like True Grit, uh, uh, Cohen's True Grit come come very often and that are watchable, so... That's a good sign for things to come there. And again, Fuqua is somebody who knows what he's doing. I think this is the first movie he's made that wasn't rated R. Um, So maybe this shows us better things to come in terms of him getting a property that he can really latch onto. It's not this because this seems like a one-off kind of thing. Um, I don't think they're going to try to franchise this out, um, even though it did win the the weekend. Um, But it just may be better things to come. Like if we can have directors that have a decent – you know, a, a, a good sense for uh, how things should be assembled, uh, not assembled, but uh, how should look and, and not uh, feel on screen, uh, then that's good. Um, so maybe he'll, he'll get uh, the, the uh, fast pass to, you know, one of the Star Wars standalones or something like that, mm-hmm. and we can really see what he can do. Um, but this was a, a, a surprise. And, man, Denzel is just such a freaking cool guy that it's just so hard to, like, think of anything negative like if this was if the the lead I'm trying to think of somebody who could have been the, like if tom cruise was the lead instead of denzel like not a i don't chance. think i could have liked this movie you know like he just brings you. so much more to it than that <laughs> i just think he's got such a uh, just a calm cool nature to him that uh yeah and just wearing the all black and just and it just worked so well in this and he felt like straight out of the west too um but it was just so cool um, this movie was just cool, you know, to me. Um, so Richard, uh, great. Yeah. I'm going to be a total coward and shoot the gap between you guys. I'm probably going to go, uh, I need to decide between two grades. I'll go only a little bit more towards your way, Kent, because I have to admit I did enjoy myself. I'll go B minus. Okay. So the magnificent seven is playing now in theaters. Uh, go see it. Um, make your own opinion. And of course we always love to hear them on our Twitter and email so send them our way but david would you like to stay on for weekly recommends yeah let's do some recommends all right weekly recommends here okay all right what would you like to what what would you like to recommend sir if you have something so (laughs) may i recommend uh 1987 silverado which is by the kasdan brothers who are the two men that wrote um the empire strikes back it was uh, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, and it's got, you know, I, I was really excited about Magnificent Seven because it has this really stacked cast. I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see all these people play off of each other. Silverado has that and more. Let me just, let me just, may I just recite some of the cast members? By sure. All, means. all right, so we got Kevin Dave, Klein. David Ellen Greer. Danny Glover. <laughs> no, d- d- David Ellen Greer's not in it. Mike, Mike O'Malley. Uh, no. <laughs> Kevin Klein. 
Kevin Costner, Danny Glover, Scott Glenn, John Cleese, Linda the, Hunt, Brian Dennehy, Jeff Goldblum. The dude you're getting a Dell guy. I mean, it is packed. Huh? Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it is. That is a stacked movie. Uh, it's got an incredible score by Bruce Browden. It's shot really, really well. Um, and the in, and with only four main characters, even though there's a big ensemble, everybody gets like a little moment to develop, um, and all of the all of the plot threads are knit together really tightly. I just think it's like a a really solid picture. It's beautifully shot. Um, I think it deals much more honestly with Danny Glover's character, um, with the ugly realities of being a free black man in the post-bellum West. Um, and I think that the action is really legible and clear. And when there is that final showdown uh, between two characters whom I shall not spoil, there is this really palpable sense of catharsis that the, the mm -hmm. plot has been brought to this, this boiling point, And then you get to see the result. That's my recommend. Great. Silverado um, available now on crackle. All right. <laughs> so, I'm going to recommend a uh, new season of Portlandia is on Netflix, uh, oh, wow. season six, and uh, Armisen has been promoting documentary now, which season two did premiere. Richard, uh, do you have a mini review of the season premiere of documentary now? Uh, both episodes. I will say the season premiere of documentary now is great. Um, it makes it it does a spoof on the war room, the uh, the uh, documentary on the. Uh, 92 election on the Clinton team, but I have to say, and, and, and that was the one I was excited for. Um, but they did a take on uh, Euro Dreams of Sur Sushi, yeah, um, which is called uh, Juan Likes Rice and Chicken, which <laughs> I, I, I have to say uh, is not only the best episode of documentary now yet, I, I think it might be the, my favorite 30 minutes of comedy in about two years. <laughs> really? It's, it's, yes, it's almost entirely in Spanish and have you seen it yet, Kent? No, no, I okay. I, I have it uh, saved, but I have not on not watched it yet on the it uh, is, on the old it TV. It is about a difficulty level of about six hundred million. Uh, David, have you seen have you seen documentary now at all? I have, and now Catalina Breeze from the first season yes. is playing yeah, nonstop in my head. Catalina Breeze. Catalina. Kent and I watched Catalina Breeze episode last Thursday, and then went and saw Kanye West. It was a really weird. Four hours for yeah. our senses. Oh, sure, that's a, that's like a Chicago twofer. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but the it's about one uh, one dream, uh, one likes rice and, and chicken is about a uh, three star Michelin um, restaurant that's like forty miles off the nearest road in the mountain in Colombia, and sure. um, and it's just rice and chicken. And it is, I honestly, I've never been so I laugh so hard. But I also got really emotionally wrapped up and I had to tell myself like six different times that it was not a real documentary because I started to really be proud and happy and like emotionally invested in the characters. I'm serious. It's like I've never really seen comedy acting of this level of commitment and you have to watch Armistead. It. It's unbelievable. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's that's I highly recommend documentary now. That was going to be my spinoff recommend of yours, Kent. Uh, but but yeah, check out check out that that rice and chicken episode it is i mean you'll never you won't see anything like it uh ever i can't but, uh, i can't believe the level that armison is on like i just yeah. never i never would have envisioned him being like like such a genius you know yeah. honestly um 
he's he's a great he did great characters and stuff on SNL and the Lawrence Welk and all that type of stuff was good, but I just never envisioned just his uh his originality, honestly, yeah. you know, um, he's just on yeah. another level, but, uh, go as ahead. As great as Hater is, and Hater is kind of a right. movie star. It's like he, mm-hmm. he, Hater gets blown away, uh, in my opinion, yeah. documentary now by how nuanced and smart and clever, uh, Armisen is an act as an actor. It's, it's, it's silly. All right. Go How's ahead. Hater Spanish? Well, Hater plays, uh, Hater plays, he didn't want to go to Columbia because he has kids. So he plays a, uh, he's Hispanic, but he plays a uh, food critic that just has a, a thick accent. It really does sound, it sounds a quite, bit, quite a bit like his Alan Aldo with a Spanish accent, if that makes sense. Um, okay. And so it's really funny. Uh, but Armisen Spanish is, I think his father was Venezuelan, I believe. So um, his, his Spanish is flawless. And all the character actors they get to play the various parts in Colombia are I mean, you will your your brain will lie to you about. I'm not kidding. Six or seven times and say this is not a real documentary. This is totally a sketch. It, it feels so real. I can't wait to see what the season finale is. If that's the like second episode, yeah, I can't wait. Um, all right, what's your recommend though, Richard? I'm gonna recommend. Uh, I do this once a month, and it's a cop out, but I, I'm all about it. Uh, the Mad About Movies podcast newsletter. We have a new epi- a new issue coming out next week. Um, it's the first of the month again in October. So uh, go to madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash newsletter. Uh, pop in your email there, and uh, we'll email you once a month, once a month, a little magazine for you to read. It takes about five to ten minutes, and it's hopefully funny and interesting, and and uh, kind of is the written version of this show with a little extra material for you. So uh, we won't bog you down, but it's, it's fun, I think, once a month to, to read a little something that we can put a little more thought into instead of just a conversation. It's so, probably so the most anticipated Mad About Movies newsletter that we've ever done. And that, oh, yeah, and that is saying that uh, it's the next one. So that's what makes it the most anticipated. <laughs> so we, um, we're excited about it. So sign up. It's free. It comes in. It's basically kind of some fun little articles written by us. It's not a newsletter. It's not going to be like, "Hey guys, tomorrow uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about what's going on with the Mad About Movies podcast." It's more just fun kind of humor, uh, kind of a bathroom read kind of a thing is what we intended it to be. So enjoy that. It's free. It's once a month. It won't bog you down. <laughs> Speaking of bathroom, bog you down. All right, we um, have to get out of here. But I want to thank David yeah. again from Secret lives and audio tape secret crimes and audio tape uh for secrets, coming up, crimes and audio tape, secrets yes. crimes and secret lives and audio tape way better so if you want to <laughs> trademark that right now sure. um, i'm going to take <laughs> it if you want all right secret Riding crimes to the patent office <laughs> secret crimes and audio tape uh by wondery is on itunes now check out all of wondery's yeah. shows they're all fun and great uh, ours is one of them so you know they're good and uh <laughs> we will uh, probably have you on again sometime soon, David. Thank you so thank you. much. And where yeah, can we find you online on Twitter if we were to do so? So you can find the show at, at Secrets Crimes. You can find the other show that I host for uh, you can find the other show that I host for Wondery at, at Radio Drama. And you can find me, David, at, at Icarus Floats. That's I-C-A-R-U-S-F-L-O-A-T-S. Icarus Floats. All right. Thank you so much, Richard. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden at richardbarden.com or at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Kent, I've been looking for you for years. Where can I find you? You can find me on the Twitter at Kent Garrison. Find our show online at madaboutmovies on iTunes. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. Tell a friend. That helps grow the show. And 
Uh, we want to thank our sponsors for making this episode happen. As always, thank you so much. And next week, we will be back, and we'll be talking, uh, I'm not sure what, because it's the middle of September, and pretty much nothing is coming out. <laughs> so we'll see you next time. Have All right. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I've got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya.